preschooler came out of her Bible class on a Christmas Sunday morning to meet her daddy. How was it, honey? He asked, hoping that she loved it and she would want to return every week. It was good, daddy. It was fun. And I'm pretty sure my teacher must be Jesus' grandma. What makes you think that? Asked her father. The little girl answered, well, because she kept showing us pictures of baby Jesus, and he is all she talked about. <laughs> well, John's Gospel, chapter 1, introduces a number of people who could not stop talking about Jesus. John himself was one of those. He had so much to say about Jesus that he couldn't write it all down. That's what he said in John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John could not be clearer. Christianity, abundant life on earth and eternal life in heaven, are based on what you believe about Jesus. Now, some religions require a lot of knowledge of ceremony and ritual and laws, but Christianity is about a person. And those who would point others to heaven must point to a person, Jesus Christ, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Imagine what an impact we could have if people thought of us as a relative of Jesus because we talk about Him so often, we talk about Him so freely. Another John who talked a lot about Jesus was John the Baptizer. He was named John the Baptizer because he was immersing multitudes in the Jordan River. These people were preparing their inner lives for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptizer said, someone is coming after me who's a whole lot more important than I am. That's what he told anyone who would listen. And when Jesus showed up, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And soon John kind of fades into the background so people's attention will be riveted on Jesus. Andrew is another one referenced in John chapter 1 who talked a lot about Jesus. He was the 
one of the first to follow Jesus, and he was convinced that Jesus was the one he'd been waiting for, the Messiah. So he immediately found his brother Peter and brought him to Jesus. And Peter might never have known the Lord if his brother Andrew hadn't insisted on talking about him. You know, I've never understood why it's the newest followers of Jesus, like Andrew, who seem to be the most intentional about telling others about Jesus. Maybe it's because new believers still have contacts with a lot of people who are outside of Christ. Or maybe it's because their faith has not been cluttered up with a lot of opinions and traditions, and so they find it easier to make the main thing the main thing. But I think it's mostly because new believers can't imagine, they cannot imagine, that other people aren't interested. What a difference it would make in our church, in our community, if more of us were so devoted to Jesus that we couldn't help talking about Him. We need men and women and young people who love their family and friends so much that more than anything, they want to bring them to Jesus. A few years back, we invited people from our church to come and write the names of their loved ones on the concrete floor in this worship center before we put down new carpeting. And for three evenings, people came and went. And they filled the center aisles and the side aisles with recorded names. Now, we know of over 1,200 people who have become Christians since then. And I wonder how many of those had their names recorded under this carpet. Last weekend, we, we challenged you to write names on these side panels. There are 14 of these panels. Right now, they have about 128 names on each. That's nearly 1,800 people who have been identified they are being prayed for. They will be witnessed to between now and November 9th and 10th. Friends, this doesn't take a lot of education. This doesn't take a lot of experience. The only real requirement is a sincere love for Jesus, a genuine concern for people, and a kind of faith that believes that no one is beyond the reach of God's love, especially the nuns. You remember the nuns? Forty-six million of them out there. Thirteen million are atheists and agnostics. They either say that God does not exist or they can't know if God exists. The remaining 33 million are apatheists who say they don't care if God exists. Now, these apatheists actually profess belief in God, but they're not what I would call convictional Christians. Convictional Christians are people who would openly testify that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. His grace has changed their lives, and they're not ashamed of it. And since that time, they've been increasingly grounded in their commitment to Him and His church. That's a convictional Christian. Instead, the apatheists are more what I would call either cultural Christians or congregational Christians. Now, cultural Christians would be people who are Christian by heritage only. They're born into a so-called Christian nation. They may even have some religion in their family history. Maybe somebody 
in their ancestry who was a Southern Baptist or a German Catholic, but they're not practicing a vibrant faith. They are Christians by association only. And then congregational Christians are are people who may have a home church where they grew up or they were married or christened, and they may even visit seasonally. But here again, they're not practicing their faith. They're only infrequent attendees at a church. Now, these cultural Christians and these congregational Christians, they're not atheists. They are not agnostics. They would say they believe in God, but His existence is really irrelevant to them. They have no daily awareness of His presence. They don't really care that He exists. There's no heart ownership of their faith. Their belief in God does not affect anything about how they think or how they talk or how they live. They're spiritually passive. They don't have any conscience about mentoring their children or their grandchildren in godliness. They don't value devotional life. They don't really value corporate worship. They vote with their feet in that regard. And they do not typically engage or serve others for God's honor. They don't faithfully steward their resources to advance God's kingdom, and they don't feel compelled to witness. Now, they may say they believe in God, but at a practical level, at an operational level, they're they're no different than the atheists or the agnostics. So what about it today? Does the Apostle John have any word for the nuns? Well, the Gospel of John is actually addressed to unbelievers of every rank and category, agnostics, skeptics, atheists, apatheists. Remember what John said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in His name. So today I want us to look at John's eyewitness account of Jesus in a one-on-one, life-on-life personal encounter with two different nuns. Nathaniel, in John chapter 1, whom I would describe as an honest skeptic. And then in John chapter 20, I want us to take a look at Thomas, whom I would describe as a sincere agnostic. Now, spoiler alert, these two stories both have happy endings. Both men were completely changed and became deeply devoted followers of Jesus. Now, these two accounts, Nathaniel and Thomas, are found only in John's gospel. They're not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke because John is especially targeting the nuns in his generation and in ours. And so first we have Nathaniel, an honest skeptic. Take a look, beginning in verse 45, Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? <laughs> Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. 
Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When Philip told Nathanael about Jesus being from Nazareth, he was skeptical about Jesus being the Messiah. Now, why is that? Well, I think there must have been some sort of prejudice going on here, some kind of stereotyping. Apparently, Nazareth did not have a good reputation, and to claim Nazareth as your home would be to identify yourself as being from the wrong side of the tracks. Now, some places are like that. They've got a bad reputation, deserved or not. Growing up in Illinois, we had the idea that Missouri was populated by rednecks, never imagining that for 34 years I would be a Missourian. Comedian Jeff Foxworthy, he had a whole litany of redneck jokes, you know. You might be a redneck if your front porch collapses and it kills more than three dogs. You might be a redneck if you've ever, ever been in a property dispute over a spittoon. You might be a redneck if your baby's first words are, attention, Kmart shoppers. You might be a redneck if your family tree doesn't fork. And my all-time favorite, you might be a redneck if your wife has ever said, come and move this transmission so I can take a bath. <laughs> then someone got a hold of a letter written by a mother to her son in the service. This, and this didn't help the reputation of Missouri. This family was from Missouri. Dear son, I'm writing this slow because I know you can't read fast. We don't live where we did when you left. Your dad read in the paper where most accidents happen within 20 miles of home, so we moved. I won't be able to send you the address as the last family that lived here took the numbers with them for their next house so they wouldn't have to change their address. Our new place has a washing machine. The first day I put four shirts in it, pulled the chain. I ain't seen them since. About that coat you wanted me to send you. Your Aunt Sue said it would be a little too expensive to mail with them heavy buttons, so we cut them off and put them in the pockets. We got a bill from the funeral home that said if we don't make the past due payment on Grandma's funeral bill, up she comes. About your father, he has a new job. He has over 500 people under him now. He's cutting grass at the cemetery. Your sister had her baby yesterday. I haven't heard if it's a boy or a girl, so I don't know whether you're an aunt or an uncle. 
Speaking of which, your Uncle John fell off the fell into the whiskey vat at work. Some men tried to pull him out, but he fought them off and drowned. We cremated him. He burned for four days. Three of your friends went off the bridge in a pickup. One was driving, the other two were in the back. The driver got out alive as he rolled down the window and swum to safety, but the other two drowned as they couldn't get the tailgate down. <laughs> Not much left to tell. Love, Ma. P.S. I was going to send you some money, but the envelope was already sealed. Well, enough of that. Whatever the reason for Nathaniel's dim view of Nazareth, the story doesn't end there. He accepted Philip's invitation to come and see for himself, and when he did, Jesus read him like a book. He said, here comes an honest man. Here comes a man of integrity. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. One Bible scholar said that the phrase, under the fig tree, was an expression that was actually used by rabbis to describe being in your prayer closet, under the fig tree, being in your prayer closet, observing your quiet time. I think Jesus might have been saying to Nathaniel, I saw you praying. I heard your questions. I know you're seeking God's truth. There was something insightful and very compelling about what Jesus said and how He said it, and so boom, just like that, Nathaniel confesses Christ. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, and Jesus affirmed him. He said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Nathaniel went from saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Less than an hour, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. I want you to notice here that Jesus makes time for honest skeptics. Having questions or doubts, that's not a sign of weakness. The capacity to doubt is a very healthy thing because we'd all be easy targets for every snake oil salesman that comes down the pike if we didn't have the capacity to doubt. And followers of Jesus are never called to have a blind faith. We're told to be tender-hearted, but we're also told to be tough-minded. In another passage, John tells us, do not believe every spirit. Now, it's talking about human spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Jesus never scolds or corrects anyone. For having questions or doubts, He's not afraid of any question. He is the personification of truth. He welcomes all who seek the truth. And I'm trying to learn a new word these days. When I speak of people who don't know the Lord, I'm training myself to refer to them as pre-Christians. In the past, I've used terms like unbelievers, unchurched, non-Christians. But now I prefer to make a claim. I prefer to state an expectation. I prefer to be positive. 
that it's only a matter of time until that pre-Christian person comes to Christ. I'm starting to speak the way I prefer to think that anyone, no matter who they are, no matter how bad they have been, no matter what obstacles to faith may be, may be in their way, that person will be brought to the time when they will place their trust in Jesus. So, if you were drug in here today and your heel marks are in the parking lot asphalt, <laughs> or your parents said you're going to come to church today or lose your cell phone for a week, <laughs> I want you to know I think you're just a pre-Christian. I hope it's just a matter of time. And even if you don't believe in Jesus, He believes in you. Nathaniel, he was an honest skeptic, but when he was invited to come and see, he came and saw. He was convinced. He was changed. No longer a nun. Now let's go all the way to the end of John, chapter 20, where we find John's account of what happened shortly after the resurrection. This is the account of the second time the disciples met together after the resurrection, and this is where we see Thomas, a sincere agnostic. Chapter 20, verse 24, now Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came, we might say that parenthetically, the first time. So the other disciples told Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, I consider this to be one of the most touching scenes in the New Testament. Thomas was the only disciple missing from their first meeting, and Jesus had appeared and Thomas missed it. I think watching Jesus bleed out on the cross between two thieves in the presence of a hostile crowd and the vindictive religious leaders and the brutal Roman soldiers was just more than Thomas could take. And the ugliness of life and living caused him to shrink back and withdraw. But he found his way back to their next meeting, probably more out of curiosity than loyalty. And he made this agnostic declaration, I won't believe Jesus is God unless He comes down here and taps me on the shoulder. And that is exactly what he did to satisfy Thomas and every other agnostic or skeptic or apathist who's ever lived since. The text says the doors were locked, but Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And immediately Thomas, the unbeliever, the agnostic, he got the priority attention. (laughs) Jesus said, Thomas, satisfy your physical senses if you must. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. And then these words, stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. And some of you came to church to hear Jesus say that to you today. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas didn't touch him. He didn't need to. His heart was humbled. Instead, he was broken in an instant, falling to his knees, his stammering tongue confessed the same thing that your heart and mine must confess. My Lord and my God, that's heart ownership of your faith. And Jesus said, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And we all claim that promise for ourselves because we have not seen. And yet we believe, I like the way 1 Corinthians 13, 12 puts it, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then, face to face. Listen, friends, Jesus loves honest skeptics like Nathaniel, and He loves sincere agnostics like Thomas. But be sure of this, there is a difference. There is a difference between skepticism and agnosticism in a true seeker, a true seeker that is open to credible answers. There's a difference between that person and the phony intellectual. You see, for some, their questions and doubts are just excuses. And they use them to fend off spiritual discussion if it gets too close to home. And for others, for others, it's a secret sin of which they do not want to repent, or a bad habit that they're not yet ready to break, so they profess unbelief to hide their real issues. And I'm sure still others just prefer to run their own lives without any accountability to a holy God. But Nathaniel and Thomas were not like that. And so, in a matter of a few moments, they move from skepticism to full faith, from agnosticism to full faith. (laughs) Jesus actually prefers honest skeptics and sincere agnostics to those who profess faith, but they're not really on board. And you see, Jesus knows our hearts. He read Nathaniel, and He reads us. John chapter 2, verse 24, but Jesus knew all men. He knew what was in a man. Let's put it in the present tense just so we get it. But Jesus knows all men. He knows what is in a man. I love the way Psalm 139 puts it. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and You know me, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, 
you know it completely. Oh, Lord. So if you struggle with doubt, if you don't have everything all figured out, but you really want to honestly learn about God's love and grace, then you've come to the right place. Just as Nathaniel and Thomas, at the beginning and the end of John's gospel, were delivered from being nuns to becoming followers of Jesus. They moved from unbelief to belief, from confusion to salvation, from doubt to faith. Nathaniel, Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. We can make the same journey, the same pilgrimage. Will you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the words of John that document these encounters that are so desperately needed for people to understand in this generation. Lord, may they, may they see it in us that we are convictional Christians. May they hear it from us, our testimony, about who Jesus is and how He loves and how He saves and how He's coming again. Oh, Lord, we embrace these truths today to strengthen our faith. We want to live them out before those who have their eye on us. Some of them we may not even realize are watching, listening. And so we pray that you would deepen us in our resolve to reach these 1,800 people that are identified on these side walls and many, many more in the years to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.